Well, I know the world's trying to put a damper on that, but our God is still our God. And we're trusting Him together. We know that He sees our tomorrow before it gets here, so we can trust in Him. Uh, If you're a first-time visitor, we welcome you. We're usually a little more crowded than this, but we welcome you. We're usually a little more handshaky and huggy in here than today. So bear with us. We're going to get through this together. And uh, God is going to be glorified in it. I believe that with all of my heart. That nothing in this world that happens, even the bad things, go to waste. Because God knows how to turn them around to get our focus more upon Him. Well, anyway, this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Uh, If you're just now joining us, we're actually wrapping up a sermon series that we've been in for weeks called Identity, where we're looking at the book of Ephesians, uh, finding out who we are in Christ. We've actually been taking a pretty in-depth look at this letter that the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. In fact, the majority of, if you think about it, the majority of the books in the New Testament are actually letters. They're actually letters written to ordinary people just like you and me. Well, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. It's called Ephesians, to a group of his Christ-following friends in a city of Ephesus. And if you remember from uh, weeks past, I talked about Ephesus. Ephesus was a very high fast-paced, high-pressured city. And little by little, it was trying to chip away at the peace and confidence of God's people. I think many of us can relate to that today. Amen? I mean, the world and the chaos and the craziness is trying to chip away at our peace. So Paul himself writes this very well-timed letter, not just back then, but very well-timed for today, to remind us of God's peace. It's a small book. It's only six chapters long. And we talked about how in the first three chapters, he talks about God's nature, God's character. He talks about thoughts on God, which is actually theology. So he's really just setting things up, setting the groundwork, laying it out there. He's basically saying to his people and this, us today, I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know what picture of God you have in your mind. I don't know what people have been telling you about God. But Paul says, I want to set some straight things straight this morning. He says, I want to set some things straight that you survey loving God. He loves you. He chose you in advance. The Bible says he knew us before we were born. He knew us before the foundations of the world, and he determined to set his love upon us. He didn't wait for us to have to be able to earn it. You realize that's never going to work? We can never earn God's love. He was going to give it to us in advance. And I'll say way in advance, way before the beginning of time. And he was going to make a way where there was no way through his son, Jesus Christ. Then the second three chapters, he basically says, after you know what you know about God, he says, this is how you should live your life. You should live it according to God's truth. And when we live our lives according to God's truth, guess what? That should change the way we live life. That should change the way we view others. That should change the way we interact with others. That should change the way you and I walk through this life and through this world each and every day. And actually, that should help us stay upright in a world that seems totally turned upside down. Amen? As we wrap this uh, series up today in in chapter 6, Paul's going to do something. He's going to pull back the curtain, so to speak, to let us see into the spiritual world a little bit to help us realize there's a whole lot more going on in this life and in this world than we could ever even imagine. And I don't really think it's too far-fetched for any of us to realize today that if you look at this world, there's something that's not right in this world. There's something that's broken in this world that we live in. I mean, life is hard. 
How many have realized that by now? Life is hard. It's not easy. Even when you become a Christ follower, sometimes it gets even harder. Life is hard day after day. I think we'd all agree on that. Every day you turn on the news, you want to turn off the news. Amen? I mean, the stock market's crashing. You hear of shootings. You hear of school shootings. You hear of wildfires. Uh, You hear of this corona threat. Uh, You hear of chaos and turmoil all across the world. So I want to say this morning, I think regardless of who you are, how you voted, what your social views are, every one of us could sit here and agree today that there's just something about this life that's a little messed up. And I, I, maybe I should stress that, not just a little messed up, a whole lot of messed up. Amen? What we can't seem to agree on is who to blame. What we can't seem to agree on is how to fix it. But Paul comes along and he says, I know exactly who to blame. You have an unseen enemy that is battling you behind the scenes each and every day. So Paul is saying to you and I, whether we understand it or not, you're in a battle. You're in an ugly war that you really can't see. Look what he says in verse 10 of chapter 6. He starts off here with giving a final word because he's actually wrapping this letter up. But he gives a final word. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I think, how timely is that? Especially for today. It was timely back then, but how timely is that for what we're dealing with today? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's what? Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. So what's he saying here? He's giving us a final word. It's pretty simple. Be strong. He doesn't say get strong. That's different. He says, be strong. Get strong would mean you got to head to the gym, throw some weights around, and get strong, right? He didn't say that. He says, I want you to be strong. That's like instant. That's like right now. That's like automatic. So Paul is saying you can't get strong in a minute, but you can be strong spiritually in a minute. And it's by trusting in God. It's by tapping into God's mighty power that's available through His Holy Spirit. And then he says something. We've got to do something. You and I have a part to play in this walk of faith. He says, you've got to put on something. You've got to put on God's armor, which is an indication of battle. Anytime he tells you, you better suit up in your battle armor, he's kind of telling us we're going to battle. He doesn't say, well, put on God's t-shirt. He didn't say put on God's parka. Uh, He says, put on God's armor, which shows us that we are in a battle. We're in a war, spiritual war, whether we realize it or not. And I think we'd all agree that any time you pack certain gear to go on a trip, that kind of indicates where you're going to go and what you're going to do if you're going on a trip or take a vacation. And by the way, there's a big difference between a trip and a vacation. I look at a trip as when you take your small kids along, and it's not a vacation. (laughs) There's not much vacation there. Just kidding. Kind of. Anyway, if you're there and you're packing a swimsuit or a short sleeve shirt, your T-shirts and your sandals, I'm guessing you're going somewhere where it's a little bit warm. I'm guessing you might be going to the beach, but if you're packing up your clothes, your coats and your hats and your gloves, I'm guessing you might be headed to the mountains. You might be headed to someplace cold. Well, Paul is actually giving us a heads up that you're headed somewhere. Uh, You're going to face some uh, things there, and you need to put on something. He said, put on some armor. And this is a pretty simple question, but when do you put on your battle armor? During the battle, after the battle, or before the battle? It's pretty simple. We put it on before the battle. He says, wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, you ought to be ready and have your armor on. 
He says we need to put on the whole armor of God. And why? Verse 12, look what he says. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So the first thing he wants us to know here today, if you're taking notes, we're in a battle. We are absolutely in a very real battle. It's a spiritual battle, but it's a battle. And the next thing he wants us to know is that we have an enemy in that battle. We're in a battle, and there's an enemy that's coming against us every day, all day long in that battle. I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but how many of you have ever been in a situation where you felt such animosity coming from someone that you just knew that they were thinking ill towards you, that you just knew that they wanted to harm you in some way, maybe it was emotional, maybe physical, but what I'm saying is not fun. That's not a fun feeling to know that you have an enemy out there that's trying to take you down. I remember years ago, it's been years ago, but I got a voicemail one day. I checked the answering machine, and it was a guy, supposedly a guy on the other end, that was claiming to work for the IRS. On the message, he said, uh, there's, a, there's a warrant out for your arrest, and you owe $5,500 in back taxes. Well, I don't know exactly why I called the guy back. Maybe it's because that kind of message just shook me up. I called him back. He gets on the line, and he's trying to squeeze every bit of information he can out of me. And finally, I just had had enough, and I said, wait a minute. I've got to talk to my accountant. He does my taxes. I'll talk to him. He said, this has nothing to do with you and your accountant. This is between you and the IRS. I go, I need to talk to my accountant. We're arguing back and forth. And finally, he says, I'll tell you what. I can make this all go away in a minute. You just give me your credit card number. I'll make it all go away. All of a sudden, boop, a light bulb popped on. That's not right. I mean, this is a scam. Uh, and this was long before you got daily scams on the, your phone every day. It was definitely a scam. Yeah, I'm a little bit slow. I'll admit that. And I'm a little bit naive. I was a little bit late getting to that party, but I finally got there, so to speak. And then this guy was like, okay, good luck in jail. Then he hung up the phone. <laughs> Let me tell you, my palms during that phone call were sweating. I mean, my heart was beating out of my chest. I'm thinking about my blood pressure was going up. My adrenaline was pumping. And I was like, I've got to get me one of those identity theft things just to protect myself. My whole point is, it's not fun to know you have an enemy out there that's trying to take you down. That's exactly what Paul is saying to us in the spiritual realm. He says, you've got an enemy there, but it's not a flesh and blood enemy. It's not a flesh and blood person. It's not somebody you can see. It's somebody that you will never see or you can't see. It might sound a little bit strange to you when the Apostle Paul starts talking about the unseen world. You're a little skeptical, and I am too, of some of that stuff that goes way over our heads. But I will say this, Paul absolutely believed in an unseen spiritual world. And guess who else absolutely believed in an unseen spiritual world? A guy by the name of Jesus. Jesus was dealing with the unseen dark spiritual world, the demonic, each and every day. And in fact, Jesus, he said something in his ministry that I think just anchored his ministry. He said, I have come to bring liberty to the captives. I've come to set the captives free. Do you realize that's some terminology of war? Anytime you've got one person holding another person captive. And Paul is just saying, you've got an enemy. You can't see him, but don't think he's not real. Because he's a very, very real enemy. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians uh, he refers to him as an angel of light. He refers to the devil as being an angel of light, which means he's willing to blend into whatever it takes to deceive you. 
and to get you to let your guard down. In other words, what I'm saying is a lot of people think that Satan is just out there promoting himself, showing himself off. He's not all that obvious. He doesn't want to be that obvious. I think our problem is we've seen way too many horror movies. Amen? We think we know everything there is to know about the unseen, spiritual, demonic world when we really don't. I mean, Satan's not going to show up and usually roll somebody's eyes back in their head. He's not usually going to show up and cause them to climb up a vertical wall. He's not going to show up and elevate or levitate them six feet off the ground. When he shows up, sometimes you won't even know he's there. He comes across a whole lot more subtle than that. In 1 Peter, Peter gives us a warning. Uh, chapter 5, verse 8. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. So Peter's recognizing that we have an enemy. Watch out for your great enemy. Then he even names him the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking whom, to whom he may devour. Um, there's a couple things I want to point out in this uh, verse right here. The first thing is that we've already mentioned it. We have an enemy. He's got a name. His name is Satan. His name is the devil. He can be called Lucifer. And Paul describes him as a lion, which means he's, you might say, part of the cat family. Just think about that. It's kind of like my little barn cat that I've got at home, which reminds me of the next thing. He says that this uh, devil is like a lion, but he's also on the prowl. So if you think about those words, those are hunting words. Those are uh, hunter's theology to be on the prowl. I mean, I kind of enjoy watching my cat come out of the barn and crawl as low as she can on the ground until she goes under the fence and then gets out in the pasture and she's stalking her prey. And she, when she finds that little mouse, she pounces up in the air and lands right on that mouse. I'm thinking if I was that mouse... I'd be a little intimidated of that cat. Let me just say today, think of a full-grown lion on the prowl coming against you and me. It can be a little bit intimidating. But spiritually speaking, more people believe in God than they do in the devil. And the problem with that is so many people then have this idea that the devil is just one of these cartoonish-type characters. Got his little pointy little mustache, his horns, his pitchfork, and his uh, tail and red suit and all that. We just think he's... A cartoon character. I'd say Satan is probably great with that all day long. If you just think he's a cartoonish type character, I think the devil is more uh, than okay with that. He doesn't care if you and I believe in him, really. The whole thing is he's not out after your affection anyway. What's he out after? Your destruction. He's not after your affection. He's after your destruction. You know a hunter, when they go out into the woods, they don't announce their presence. I mean, they would rather their prey not know they're coming or not see them, right? I mean, they try to keep it quiet. I guess I don't know how many hunters. I know I have a few in here, deer hunters, turkey hunters, whatever. I guarantee you, you don't go out into the woods wearing your neon suit and shouting, Hey, deer, I'm here. Hey, turkeys, I'm here. What do you do? No, you stay camouflaged. All Paul is saying, that's exactly what our enemy, the devil, does. He stays camouflaged. He stays unseen. He'll mask around as an angel of light. So he pretends to be something that he's not at all. I think the reason some of us are skeptical of this kind of talk is that we've seen people fall into one of two different categories. Uh, And we do make some mistakes when it comes to the unseen world. And I'll give you a couple if you're taking notes. The first one is some people attribute every negative thing that happens to a demonic attack, to a satanic attack attack. I mean, some of you know those kind of people. Some of you probably work with those kind of people. Every time they have a bad day, they blame it on some kind of a satanic attack. Well, I like what C.S. Lewis, a great minister, once said. 
He said, when it comes to Satan, people usually fall into one of two errors. We either take him altogether too seriously, in other words, we give him way too much credit, or we don't take him seriously enough. You know, if you want to find somebody that's taking him too seriously in a wrong way, all you have to do is ask them how you're doing, and all of a sudden they're, do, they're, they're doing terrible. I'm doing horrible. Satanic attacks from all sides. What do you mean? Well, my alarm clock didn't go up this mor- off this morning, and I woke up a little late. I had a flat tire on my way to work with my car. And then I went to the grocery store after work, and I got a couple of avocados, and they weren't ripe. I mean, it's demonic attacks from all sides. Let me just say, I know I'm exaggerating, but I don't think Satan's all that concerned about your unripe avocados, right? I think if he, you think he is, we're giving him way too much credit. Yes, he's a lion, or described as a lion in Scripture, but I like how an author by the name of Ann Voskamp describes him. She says, yes, he's a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. He's a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. And guess who's holding that leash in his hand? God. Satan is a lion, or coming across as a lion, but he's on God's, God's leash. So I don't think God's con- or Satan's concerned about a lot of things that we think he's uh, concerned about. But I will say this, we, don't have to, we shouldn't ignore him, but we shouldn't be paralyzed with fear about him. Amen? The second point is kind of the opposite of the first one. We tend to sometimes neglect him altogether, pretend like he's not even real, pretend like he's some kind of silly joke. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another preacher, mentioned this. I thought it was pretty awesome. He says, I am certain that one of the main causes of the mess that we are in today is because the devil is being forgotten. The devil's being overlooked. The devil's actually being left out of the equation. We're too focused on thinking that person over there is my enemy. No, that person over there is my enemy. That government over there is my enemy. And what are we doing by that? We're missing who our real enemy is. Well, Paul says you've got a real enemy. He's not a flesh and blood enemy. He's an unseen enemy. But Paul says you need to get that in your heart and realize that because otherwise you're going to think everybody out there coming against you in whatever way is your enemy. They're not your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. We wrestle against one enemy. Satan is our enemy. Yeah, Satan may still use people to get under your skin, but they're not your enemy. He's our enemy. We all have one common enemy who wants to take us down. And one of the ways he tries to take us down is to turn us on each other. Pit us against each other, even in churches. But think about our world. Why do you think we're so divided? Why do you think there's such a division? I have to tell you, Satan's got a whole lot to do with the division going on in our world today. So what's worse than being in a war with someone that you can't see? What's worse than that is being in a war that you don't recognize, that you don't even know that you're in? I mean, it's like you wandering out onto the battlefield with your shorts and your t-shirts and your sandals when you ought to be wearing your armor. Amen? Think about that. Sometimes we go into these battles and we're not at all prepared. I mean, have you ever been... Uh, in a time in your life when you have just thought that certain temptations that come your way are just too coincidental. I mean, that they're just too well-timed. It's like maybe you and your wife have been drifting apart. Maybe you're going one direction, she's going the other, and you're both going 100 miles an hour. And you finally realize, hey, we're drifting apart. We need to do some things to get ourselves back together and reconnect. So you decide to have a date night. You get a babysitter. You get a reservation to a nice restaurant. You get all fixed up, everything is going good, but the minute you get ready to step out that door, some petty argument comes up. 
You, it's so small you can't even remember what it was. And it destroys and ruins your whole evening. And the thought in your mind is, is that a coincidence? Or is that just something that's too well-timed? Is that like an attack, a hidden attack behind the scene? Maybe some of you, right after you've made a decision that you're going to help somebody financially, maybe they're hurting financially, you give them a gift, and, and then two days later, your car breaks down. Your car breaks down, your transmission goes out, and you've got to put a transmission in your car, and now you don't have the money. I mean, it's kind of like an attack from behind the scenes. Or maybe you're in a, a struggle in your life, whatever it might be, a dark time in your life, and all of a sudden, some really dark thoughts start crossing your mind, and you're thinking, wow, where did that thought come from? i tell you where it came from. A very real enemy who's out to kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, he's very willing to take a shot at you when you're down. But you know, he's just as willing to take a shot at you when you're having your greatest day of all, when you're coming through some of your greatest victories. And I'll have to say this, he's good at what he does. He's been around a lot longer than any of us altogether have been around. He knows how to deceive us. He knows how to get us to let our guards down. And he absolutely knows when you're missing a piece of your body armor. Do you know that? I don't know how he knows, but he knows. He sees those areas that you've got vulnerability. And guess what? That's exactly where he's going to attack you. That's exactly where he's going to attack you in those areas that are vulnerable, those areas that you don't have covered up with God's armor. And sometimes he'll attack you little by little, kind of subtle. Other times he'll, he'll just give you a direct hit. He'll just attack you full on. I mean, there have been moments in my life when I can absolutely feel a presence of the enemy trying to put bad thoughts in my mind. I mean, he's trying to lead me down a pathway toward temptation, and I know without a doubt if I follow that path, it's not only going to hurt me and destroy me, it could hurt and destroy others around me. You know, it's been those moments where I can literally, almost literally, sense the breath of the unseen enemy that close because he is that close to any of us. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why you need to be covered up with God's armor. Some of us need to take long time long enough to say, hey, I'm in a battle. And realize what kind of battle that you're in. You're in a spiritual battle every day. I want to give you some good news. You're probably thinking, wow, finally, we get some good news. You show me a room full of passionate worshipers, I'm going to show you a room full of people that know that they're in a battle. And that know that they've got God on their side. If you show me a room full of people that are just kind of going through their motions, uh, that are kind of asleep at the wheel, there are people that aren't prepared at all. That some of them may not even know they're in a battle. So Paul, in the end of this letter, he's saying, prepare for battle. And then he really says, and your battle cry ought to be the name of Jesus. Prepare for battle and have your battle cry is the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he says in verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor, Every piece. I love the King James. Put on the whole armor of God. It's so important. It's so vital. He says, don't put on eight pieces out of the ten. Put on all ten. He says, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. When is the time of evil? I don't know exactly, but I'm guessing it could be when you're least expecting it, right? When you've let your guard down. But he says, then after that battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm. You know, you're only going to be standing firm after that battle if before you went into that battle, you put on the full armor of God. So the enemy is actually telling us there's a battle going on with a real enemy. He's powerful, he's deceptive, and he doesn't fight fair. He fights dirty. But Paul says you need to put on the full armor of God. Not just a few pieces here and there. Put on the full armor of God that God has made available. 
to you and me. All we have to do is put it on. Then in verse 14, he says, stand your ground. Stand your ground. That's important. You know, there's only two places in the Bible that he tells us to actually flee. And those have to do with sexual sin or uh, financial sin. Only two places. He said, don't even go get in the ring with those two things. He said, be like Joseph. You get in an area of temptation, you flee. You run for your life. But in every other situation in the Bible that I know about, he talks about standing. And not just standing, but stand firm. And he says, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. He starts out with a belt. Belts are important, right, guys? I mean, belts are important. How embarrassing would it be to be out on the battlefield and your pants drop down? I mean, it'd be embarrassing. It'd be embarrassing if you were on a battlefield or not. But he starts out with a, with a belt. He said, put on that belt. And he said, it's the belt of truth that fortifies you. He said, it's the truth of God's word that fortifies you. He knows that we need the belt of truth on us every day. We need that belt to fortify us. Because you know, wherever you're fortified or strengthened by God's word in your life, the enemy may try to still attack there, but he's not going to prevail. He's not going to win because you are protected. You're ready for that attack. So the question I would like to ask you this morning is, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of Satan? Or are you listening to the voice of God? Getting into your word and reading and finding out what he has to say. Then he goes on. There's many parts to this armor. He says, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. That's important. That's maybe one of the biggest pieces of armor that God says we should put on because it protects our major vital organs. And he says this, vital, this armor that you're putting on, he says, it's my righteousness. You need my righteousness. And whenever you think about what God is telling us, anytime anybody puts on some body armor, you know what they're really saying is, I need some protection. I'm vulnerable. I'm a human being. I can be taken down. And God says, hey, you need my righteousness. You need my righteousness covering your vital organs, protecting you all day long. And he also says, I believe your weakness is an advantage. You know, we are weak. But the Bible says when we're weak, he's made strong. Our weakness is an advantage because in our weakness, we are supposed to turn around and depend upon Him. So when we're putting on the whole armor of God, what we're really doing is saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you to take care of my situation. Then in verse 15, verse 15 he's all the way down to the shoes now. He says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be, able, you will be fully prepared. Everybody knows that a good pair of kicks are important. Amen? You're usually not going anywhere uh, without your shoes. I mean, some of you do, but you probably shouldn't. Amen? <laughs> your shoes give you stability. Do you realize that? But as I said earlier, your shoes already get, also give you an indication of where you're going and what you're going to be doing. Like, you're not going to run a marathon, I'm guessing, in a pair of work boots. Amen? That'd be a horrible idea. You need to put on the right kind of shoes. God said, make sure your feet are ready and steady for whatever the enemy is going to throw at you, because he's going to throw some things at you. Verse 16, he says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith. That's important. And a big part of that is hold up. I mean, that's important to realize. A shield of faith is not going to do any good on the ground. Your shield of faith is not going to do any good down here at your ankles. Your shield of faith better be held high, because he tells us why. He said to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. I believe that piece of armor tells us more about ourselves than maybe the others do. It tells us no matter how much of a spiritual warrior you think you are, how much of a spiritual person you think you are, you're not invincible. 
you can be taken down. Think about a random arrow flying through the air. If you don't have that shield up, that thing could hit you and take you out. That's why we absolutely always have to have that shield of faith held high. And I thought about this. If you're hiding some kind of sin in your life, if you've got some secret things going on in your life, we need to stop and realize that that's just leaving a vulnerable spot for the enemy to hit me with one of his fiery darts, with one of his fiery arrows. We've left ourselves uncovered, just a thought. That's why it's so important to put on the whole armor of God and not leave off any of the pieces. And then he says in verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet. Put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, when you think about it, putting on that helmet of salvation covers our head, which directs our thoughts, which directs everything from there. I believe Paul is in a roundabout way saying, hey, you need to be reminded in your own mind and heart of what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and Him going to the cross to make salvation and forgiveness available. You've got to remember putting on that helmet of salvation that you're only there in that battle because God has redeemed you. God has saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Then he says, pick up the sword of the Spirit. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You realize the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is not our feelings. It's not our emotions. It's not our impressions. It's not even our experiences. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's right here. How many of you are holding this up? And I'm not saying you have to walk around in life every day holding a Bible up. That probably wouldn't win too many uh, people to, to Jesus. But you need to have that Word in your heart. And you need to be able to raise up that sword of the Spirit. And I think it's really kind of crazy, but the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon in that whole arsenal of armor. Think about it. All the rest are defensive measures. All the rest are defensive pieces. This is the sword of the Spirit. So don't tell me that the Word of God is not important. I don't know how many times that I have encountered different trials, tests, and troubles, and, and threats against me in different areas, that a timely word comes into my heart. That sword of the Spirit is pulled out and fights my battle. That's why we need to have the Word of God deep down in our heart. Then he wraps things up as far as the armor goes in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You know, I think our biggest problem a lot of times is we forget totally that prayer is even a part of God's armor. I think we just forget that completely. Well, James is trying to remind us in the book of James that it's not something to be forgotten. Prayer is the most powerful and effective thing that we can do. He says the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So I'd say this, prayer is not the only thing we can do, but it ought to be the first thing we do. Amen? It's not the only thing we could do. It should be the first thing we should do, and we should do it on a continuous, consistent basis. So Paul says three things here. I basically covered them already. Don't give up, number one. Know, number two, that you have an enemy. And number three, prepare for battle. All those are critical in our walk with God. Some of us may be here, we may know that we have an enemy. We may be even prepared for battle, but sometime maybe it got tough and we gave up and we quit. We let our guard down. Or maybe, on the other hand, some of us got way too overconfident. We thought, well, man, I'm doing good. Life is good. I'm just going to lay my shield down. Big mistake. And the reason I say that, if Jesus was attacked, what makes us think we won't be attacked? Think about it. Anytime. 
When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he was 30 years old. And the first thing that happened was he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And during that 40 days and 40 nights, he was on a fast. So after that 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was weak emotionally, I would imagine. Physically, I know. And guess who came to attack him, to tempt him? Satan. Satan does that all the time. He will attack us at our weakest moments. But do you know what Jesus did? He fended off every temptation by the Word of God, by the Word of truth. Satan came and tempted him three times. Three times Jesus said, it is written. And then he gave him the Scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. I believe God, uh, Jesus was being the greatest example of all, of having put on the full armor of God. He was ready for the enemy's attack, even in his weakest condition. He was ready for that attack. And he put on the same body armor that God has made available to you and me. So as I close today, I want to give you three questions. I want you to check them into your heart and ask yourself. Number one, are you aware of, are, are you aware of the battle? Do you even know that you're in a battle? Number two, do you know that you have a very real enemy and who that enemy is? And number three, are you prepared? You know, my heart wonders that if there might not be some people in here that aren't really ready, that you're kind of asleep spiritually. I mean, how many of you, if tonight you went to bed and in the middle of the night you heard the shattering of glass downstairs, you heard an intruder crash through your front door, and you hear them walking around downstairs? I'm guessing that not a one of us would just shrug our shoulders and roll over and go back to sleep. Amen? But why is it that we live our life spiritually that way so much of the time? We know there's an enemy against us, and if you didn't know that, now you do. There's an enemy against us, and half of the battle is just being aware of that enemy. And not only being aware, but being prepared, being alert. You know, when it comes to our spiritual strength, you realize that on our own, we're no match for Satan at all. We're no match for him at all. And the best thing that many of us can do is to realize that, recognize it. Recognize our weakness and actually cry out to God. And at the end of every one of our lives, I want us all to be able to stand before a holy God and hear him say, well done. Amen. I want to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I want to hear those Words by our God. But how do you finish well? By tapping into God's power. How do you finish well? By fighting your battle fully armed with God's armor and His strength and His power. So today, as we stand to our feet, if you could stand to your feet, I want to come to God in an with an attitude of weakness. Not to say I'm weak. Yes, to say we're weak. And to say, God, I need you. God, I need you, and I can't walk and operate through this life without you. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you today, we're declaring we need you, Lord God, because we have a very real enemy out there who's been around way longer than we've been around. He's so deceptive. He's way more camouflaged than we even can recognize. And we thank you, Lord God, that because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and defeated Satan, we don't have to be afraid of him because you defeated him. Lord, help us to be aware of his deceptions. Help us to see him coming. Help us, Lord God, to be ready and prepared for that battle. Help us to see the chaos and division and hatred and anger that he tries to bring into our hearts, minds, and our lives, our families. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. But Father God, help us to take on the full armor of God.
to protect us from the enemy's strength and power. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we push that stuff back to your glory. And our battle cry is the name of Jesus Christ today. That name that's above every name, above every enemy. And I pray that if there's someone here that feels alone today, I pray that they would realize right now they're not alone. First of all, they've got us around them. But more than that, they've got you around them. That you're there for them. That you're fighting their battle or want to fight their battle for them. I pray that they would realize that in a brand new way. And that they would feel your presence and your power working in their life. I thank you, Lord God, for making us aware that there is an armor, suit of armor to put on. And I pray as we leave this place today, that we would apply that to our lives. We would be ready and prepared. We'd pick up the sword of the Spirit. And we would fight against the enemy, but we would protect ourselves with the full armor that you have equipped and given to all of us. We give you thanks for that. We give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Watch for our service uh, information online. Amen.